This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hour number two on this Sunday morning of Labor Day weekend. Hope everyone's doing something fun out there today in and around the New York City area or wherever you are tuning us in, perhaps the ESPN New York app. Pat O'Keefe with you. The number is always 1-800-919-3776. A lot of talk about the Yankees for obvious reasons. The lead over Tampa Bay. God, Tampa Bay's tough. I mean, isn't Tampa Bay tough? Just look at those two franchises side by side. The incredible amount of resources and money that the Yankees have at their disposal. I mean, you watch that Tampa Bay game, the high shot from the top of the stadium, and all of those empty seats. There's not a single person sitting in the second deck. Not a single person in the second deck. This team is good year after year after year. And every year you think, okay, well, maybe this is the year... Because they, they always seem to unload their stars, whoever their stars are. They don't have stars. That's why they're so impressive. They just have a bunch of good dudes who can play, the Tampa Bay Rays. But every year they seem to unload a guy who seems like, oh, well, this is the point in time in which they're starting to break down and, and rebuild. They don't ever rebuild. They just retool every year. And here they are, four games behind the Yankees and three games behind them in the loss column for first place in the American League East. And, yeah, keep an eye on Toronto. Toronto is six games out, and Toronto is also five games behind the Yankees in the loss column, and 29 games to play. So there's plenty of time for that to happen. Uh, we'll get to the Mets. We'll get to the NFL starting this week. Speaking of which, football fans, sign up for Cover 5. It's a free-to-play pick'em game for all season long, fun, and compete you can against your friends, your rivals, and your favorite 98.7 ESPN hosts. Pick five games each week, and the best score against the spread throughout the regular season will win $1,000. Weekly prizes of $100 will also be awarded. Join the 98.7 ESPN League with code NY22 on the Cover 5 app and Cover5.com. It's as easy as one, two, free. Visit ESPNNewYork.com for full contest rules. So, yeah, the NFL season starting a week from today. I mean, a week from now, we'll be, you know, Elbows deep and getting ready for Jets-Ravens, Giants-Tennessee Titans. Uh, the season will have already started with the Thursday night game. And then away we go. And we'll have plenty of thoughts on that as we continue. Do want to continue with the Mets, though. We touched on the Max Scherzer injury before the break. Not overly concerned with his comments after the game, but it is certainly concerning. After the 7-1 loss, the other thing that's concerning is the Atlanta Braves. And you talk about a tough team. The Atlanta Braves just keep on winning. They've now won four in a row. I mean, the Mets have played exquisite baseball for about a month and a half right now. Right? Can you remember the Mets slump? And we talk about what the Yankees are doing right now. They've been awful for a third of the season. Can you remember the week and a half where the Mets really went through a rough patch? Because I can't. And you look up, and they are two games ahead of Atlanta. Two. And they have that late three-game series coming up that proved, that could prove to be crucial in the National League East race been saying this all along and now it's starting to apply to the Yankees because they've allowed Tampa Bay to get back into it the difference between getting a quote-unquote buy into the division series into the NLDS or having to play a best two out of three series against either Philadelphia or San Diego or perhaps Milwaukee is enormous it is such a huge difference and that's why the Mets are going to play this all the way down to the final weekend because it's not like it used to be I mean 
And this is where Major League Baseball has done a good job. They really have incentivized winning the division. And not only this year winning the division, but being one of the top two division winning teams. You know, whoever wins the NL East, whether it's the Mets or the Braves, is going to finish with a better record than the NL Central winner, which looks like it's going to be the Cardinals. Because that third division winning team has to play in the wild card round in the two out of three series. So whoever wins the National League East is clear of that. And obviously the Dodgers are clear of that. Just the question in the National League is who's it going to be? Is it going to be the Mets or is it going to be the Braves? The Mets are going to the playoffs, we know. And even if, God forbid, they end up in that two out of three series in the wild card round, you would still feel really good because two out of three games, you're probably going to be able to start Jacob DeGrom or Max Scherzer. But it is a couple of things. First of all, two out of three is always a crapshoot. It's not one and done, but two out of three is still more of a crapshoot than three out of five or four out of seven. And then secondly, let's say you go DeGrom and you go Scherzer and you advance to the NLDS. Well, unfortunately, then you can't start the NLDS with DeGrom and Scherzer at the top of your rotation. You'd have to start with a Chris Bassett or a Carlos Carrasco who's coming back today or a Taiwan Walker or whomever, okay? So that is something that you greatly want to avoid. And when you look at the Mets, and I still say this, and this was kind of hammered home this week with how they handled the Dodgers at City Field, winning two out of three. They could have won all three games. I mean, let's be honest, the one game the Dodgers won, the winning run scores on a ground ball to a vacated third base because of the shift. Advances to, it was a double. He advances to third base on a ground out and then scores on an infield single. That was the difference between the Mets sweeping the Dodgers and winning two out of three. So the Mets really proved themselves this week. And that's my point with the Mets, by the way. Where is the slump that they've gone through? It's non-existent, and yet they have a two-game lead. Now, we talked about earlier the Yankees' schedule gets easier. It's been tough lately, and the Yankees have made it tough on themselves because they've played very poorly. The Mets' schedule down the stretch statistically is the easiest in baseball. You have Washington today. Pittsburgh, Miami, the Cubs, Pittsburgh again, series against Oakland, Miami, and Washington. So if the Mets just do what they've done all season long, continue to take care of business, they're going to be fine. For the Mets, it's about what do they look like in the postseason. You know, the lineup is what the lineup is right now. You know what Alonzo is. You hope he's clicking at playoff time because he can go through those four or five game droughts. Lindor... This is pretty close to the guy who the Mets traded for, who the Mets wanted when they traded for. I mean, he's done everything they could have wanted. You know, the, he does the Lindor things that not a lot of people do, the athleticism, the energy, the leadership in those types of areas. And then on top of that, and more importantly, I always felt that Lindor kind of skated by a little bit because when he wasn't producing, he was still very visible and very vocal and fun and entertaining. And I always thought that when he was struggling, those attributes kind of overshadowed the fact that he wasn't hitting. Well, he's hitting this year. He's hitting, and more importantly, he's hitting in the clutch. So those are your top two guys. And the guy that I've said all along that I love, he's new to the team, but every time he seems like he's up in a big spot, he seems to come through, and that is Starling Marte. And Marte just... To me, having not watched a ton of him throughout his career, but watching him day in and day out right now, he's one of those guys. You know, he just seems like one of those guys. Like, I even have more confidence in him coming up in a big spot than Alonzo in a big spot. I just think he's one of those guys. And that's not meant to 
disparage Pete Alonso. I think over the long haul of the season, Alonso is the best and most productive hitter in that lineup. No question about it. But Starling Marte just seems like one of those guys. Like a Bernie Williams type guy. When the game is on the line, you just want that guy up. And he's done that in a few regular season spots here. But at the end of the day, the Mets being the World Series favorites that I think they can be, hinges on Scherzer and DeGrom. So last night is concerning. Scherzer takes himself out of the game. When you're watching it in real time, you're extremely concerned. Extremely concerned. Because first of all, you just went through this. You just went through this in May. And he missed six weeks. And you barely held on to that division lead. You did a great job doing it. But your thought process then is, okay, we were able to withstand one lengthy absence from Max. Jake obviously wasn't back yet then, but I don't think we can do that again. And I don't think you can do that again. Now, can the Mets still win the division without those two guys? Or, excuse me, without both of those guys? Yeah, I think they can. I think they proved that earlier this season. But if you get to the playoffs and you have Scherzer pitching game one and DeGrom pitching game two, or vice versa, we don't know how it's going to play out. Right now, I would go Max and then Jake. But you're basically trying to choose between, you know, who's your favorite kid right there. If you go into the playoffs with those two guys at top, and by the way, the rest of the Mets rotation is really, really good. Like, really good. Like, anybody else in that Mets rotation, you, you might feel comfortable starting a game one for the Yankees instead of Garrett Cole. But the Mets, with those two guys on top, and then whoever you want to slot in at number three, that's the best team. That's the team best suited to make a run throughout October. So if you take one of those guys out, there is that trickle-down effect. And that trickle-down effect also brings into play the Mets' bullpen. Now, the Mets' bullpen has been good. Adam Ottavino wasn't good last night, but has been very good for a long time. We know what's at the back end of that bullpen. Okay, we're not discussing that. <laughs> I think that's been discussed a little bit this week in Edwin Diaz. We know what he is. And I, I look, and I've vote. I said a lot earlier this season that, hey, you're not you're not going to know that Edwin Diaz can do it in a big spot until he actually does it in a big spot. I need to amend that now. I mean, yeah, you still do, but I still, even in June when he was pitching lights out and, and really starting to find his stride, I would still sit here on the air and say, hey, but, you know, there's still that lingering doubt in your mind until he, like, gets on the brightest stage. Can he do it in the big spot in the postseason? I'm I'm past that now. I, I think most people are past that. I was actually one of the last people to get past that. Doesn't mean he's going to be perfect every time. Nobody is. But you have Edwin Diaz at the back of your bullpen. Adam, Adam Adovino's been pretty good. But let's be honest, that kind of middle part of the Mets bullpen is if you're going to say a weak spot or a concern, that's it right there in the postseason. That's it. So if you take out a Scherzer or a DeGrom... Well, that means you're going to need to rely on your bullpen even more. So there's that trickle-down effect, more so than just a Bassett starting a Game 2 instead of Game 3, or a Carrasco starting a Game 3 instead of a Game 4. Then it brings into play, well, you're going to need more from the guys in the Mets' bullpen. The Lugos and the Adovinos and the Joel Lee Rodriguez's and those guys that are out there. And the less, let's be honest, the less you see of them, as opposed to a Scherzer or DeGrom, the better you are. That's the goal for the Mets. So, concern for Scherzer, 
as of now, he is uh, scheduled to make his next start on Friday. So he'll have nearly a full week off. He's scheduled to start Friday in Miami, the start of a three-game series next weekend. You have Carrasco coming off the injured list today to rejoin the rotation, so that's great. And then the three games in Pittsburgh, you have Walker, DeGrom, and Bassett. And then you come back in Miami with Scherzer, Carrasco, and Walker. It's a terrific starting rotation. The other question, and you have Tyler McGill starting in A, who was really good before he got hurt and on the verge of coming back as well. McGill was really good earlier in the season. I think McGill could be a weapon out of that bullpen. I think McGill could be the guy, that scenario I just described, with the middle part of the bullpen being somewhat of a concern. I think McGill is perfectly suited for that. Now, the other question is, which one of these starters is best suited to come out of the bullpen? Because assuming you go to the playoffs and have a four-man rotation, you're not going to need all five starters. There's not an easy choice. You're not eliminating one of the Mets' starting pitchers from the rotation because of performance. They've all performed well enough to deserve that spot. So the question then becomes, which starting pitcher fits in the best in the bullpen? Do you remember 2015 when the Mets obviously went to the World Series and Syndergaard was probably their, well... Was Syndergaard? Yeah, I think Syndergaard was their best pitcher that year. It was either Syndergaard or DeGrom was their best pitcher that year. But you had Syndergaard had it rolling by the playoffs. And in that last game against the Dodgers in the NLDS, he threw Syndergaard out of the bullpen, and he just comes in throwing 98, 99 miles an hour. So who's that guy for the Mets? I don't think it's Bassett. That's why I think Bassett gets a start. I think Bassett separates himself from Taiwan Walker and Carlos Carrasco as the number three starter. Because I think they can all take that start. I actually think Chris Bassett's less suited to come out of the bullpen than the other two. So then the question is, well, who are you sticking in the pen? Is it Walker or Carrasco? That's going to be one of the questions that you try to answer over the final month of the season. But again, I go back to one of my central themes of the Mets all year long. They have a guy in that dugout who you have the ultimate confidence in that he is thinking all of these scenarios through and doing so in a very logical fashion. And which is why the Mets are in the position they're in right now because of the leadership and the uh, the managing of Buck Showalter. All right, 1-800-919-3776. Let's go back to the phones and uh, welcome in Derek and Yonkers. Derek, how you doing? How you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Speaking of Buck Showalter, he was in our booth at the Yes Network, and Brian Cashman lets him go across town to the Mets and hires Aaron Boone. Listen, the Yankees will never win a World Series as long as Brian Cashman is the general manager. We have to get rid of him, and it's going to be up to us fans because apparently Steinbrenner is not going to do anything about it. We have to call these shows. We have to uh, chant fire Cashman because he has to go. Speaking of pitching, our pitching was never going to hold up, even when we were rolling. We got Cole masquerading as a number one. He's really a number two. Severino hasn't pitched in two years. Herman hasn't pitched in two years. Cortez, he's a nice story, but he's going to come back to earth. He gets rid of Montgomery. I mean, Hicks, he was, Hicks was probably jiggling when Cashman gave him that contract on the way to the bank. So, again, <laughs> the scary thing is Steinbrenner seems reluctant to move off from this man. And the media does not call for his job. They'll criticize him, but they fall short of calling for his job. So it's going to be up to us fans. I heard the media call for GM's jobs in this town for a lot less. But for some reason, there's something going on here. The media in this town will not call for the firing. I don't mean criticizing the firing of Brian Cashman. He's been here long enough. He didn't build the other teams. We know that. 
So he has one world championship with the, the top three payroll in baseball every year. I don't know how he's managed to keep his job for so long. And he, he's, oh, he's so arrogant. And even something small, the ownership – at the Mets is doing such a better job. I watched that old timers day the Mets did. It was it was great. I mean, sixty some odd old timers there. Yeah, Yankees showing up to Mets old timers day. The Yankees old timers day was a disaster. So anyway, I'm calling and the whole nothing. One more thing. There's a replacement out there for Brian Cashman. People think, oh, who are you going to get if you don't get rid of Brian Cashman? Brian Cashman was an unknown when he got the job. So I mean, I'm sure there's someone who can do the job. The Yankees will not fall apart when we get rid of Brian Cashman. But it's just time to move on. Derek, great call. I have a lot to respond to there. Uh, we got to take a quick break. I'll do that on the other side. More of your calls. 1-800-919-3776 on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. We had a good caller right before the break. Derek and Yonkers raised a couple of good points. The fans are obviously up in arms about Brian Cashman. They have been for years. And... It's Pat O'Keefe here on 98.7 ESPN New York. When, when you do that, the one thing that you point to for Cashman, the, the strongest argument for the Mets fans, or for the Yankee fans, excuse me, the anti-Cashman Yankee fans, is that he's not responsible for the three championships that they won in, 2000, in 1999, 2000, and uh, 1998 when he was the general manager. And that, that's just, it's, it's not fair. And it's very, very difficult to determine level of responsibility in a position where, um, one general manager leaves and he's immediately replaced by another. And a good example of that is when the Giants won the 2007 Super Bowl, Super Bowl 42 against the undefeated Patriots. And it was Jerry Reese's first season as general manager after Ernie Acorsi had been the GM for the last decade plus. So does that mean that Jerry Reese doesn't get credit for leading the Giants to that Super Bowl that year? No, that's not fair to say because that 2007 Giants draft was incredible. Namely, look no further than getting a guy like Ahmad Bradshaw in the seventh round of that draft, and he ended up being a huge contributor to your Super Bowl championship. Go through that Giants draft and see all the guys that Reese got in later rounds. Now, does he deserve all of the credit? No, because Ernie Acorsi deserves credit. Tom Coughlin deserves credit. So credit can be spread around in several different areas. You know, Brian Cashman in 1998 took over a team that was ready to pop. You know, 96, they won the World Series. 97, they likely would have again, except Mariano Rivera gives up a big home run to Sandy Alomar, and they end up losing the ALDS to the Indians, and, and Bob Watson retires as general manager and Cashman in his mid-30s takes over from there. But under his stewardship the next three years, the 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 roster didn't stay the same. I mean, in 98, one of the greatest teams of all time. Watson deserves a lot of credit for putting that together. Gene Michael, who preceded Bob Watson, still deserves a lot of credit for that team. But Brian Cashman deserves some of the credit. Okay, You can't, just because it was his first year there, you can't say that he doesn't deserve any credit for that championship. So that's not fair. And then, of course, they won again in 99, where Cashman makes the highly risky and controversial trade for Roger Clemens. He took his best pitcher, David Wells, and two other guys and traded them to the Blue Jays, and he brought in Roger Clemens. And the Yankees still won in 99, and the Yankees still won in 2000. So his fingerprints are on those teams. 
But the facts are this. Since then, and I understand that the economics and the landscape of baseball has changed, especially over the last 10 years, it's not as easy for a team like the Yankees to just bludgeon everybody with their payroll and throw an all-star, glorified all-star lineup on the field and win World Series championships. And by the way, the Yankees, outside of maybe 2009, that's not how they won their championships in the late 90s and 2000s. That's not how they did that. You know, Bernie Williams and Derek Jeter and Andy Pettit and Paul O'Neill. You know, I know O'Neill wasn't homegrown, but that was through a shrewd trade. Those were guys that were together for years that gelled together. They weren't the hand-picked all-star team from throughout Major League Baseball. You know what was the hand-picked all-star team from throughout Major League Baseball 2004? When the Yankees blew the three games to nothing lead to the Red Sox. You had Gary Sheffield on that team. You had Hideki Matsui on that team. You had um, A-Rod on that team. You had Jeter on that team. You had Kevin Brown on that team. You had Javi Vasquez on that team. That's that, that team didn't win. So you can't win that way. But I will say this. Cashman has tried this a bunch of different ways. And you can look at it two ways. The Yankees go to the playoffs basically every single year. They're always relevant. They're always above 500, even the years that they didn't make the playoffs when Mariano was retiring and Jeter was retiring in the final year of Yankee Stadium. Years where they finished out of the playoffs, they still were in the mid-80s in wins. That's that's the the basement for this team, which is saying something. That's pretty good. But after 20 years... 22 years now, you've had one World Series championship in the last 22 years. I do think that, especially if this season doesn't result in a World Series appearance, I do think you have to look long and hard at going in a different direction. Because you're right now on this, on this sort of hamster wheel of being relevant and a playoff team. And then you always seem to think you plug your holes or evaluate what your shortcomings are in the postseason, and you think you fix those areas, but then you spring a leak somewhere else on your boat. For example, 2019, they lose to the Astros. Astros have Verlander. Astros have Garrett Cole. The Yankees, at that point, need a frontline starter at the top of their rotation. So what did they do? Well, they went out, and they signed Garrett Cole to the largest contract in baseball history largest long-term contract in baseball history for a starting pitcher well Cole is not that guy he's not Max Scherzer he's not Justin Verlander he's not Steven Strasburg from 2019 he hasn't proven that he's that guy and he's only getting older and the absence of the crackdown on sticky substances on pitchers hands if you don't think that that's a factor for Garrett Cole and others, then you're just not paying attention. And Garrett Cole wasn't the only one doing it, but he was doing it better than anybody else because he has superior talent. But you take that away, that little edge away from him and others, and all of a sudden, he's not as an effective pitcher. Okay, so you have Garrett Cole at the top of your rotation, but now you're springing a leak elsewhere. You have this Gary Sanchez behind home plate who not only can't field, but now can't hit. So you move off of him and you replace him with a more 
defensive-minded unit, and you bring in Josh Donaldson at third base, and he can't hit. So my point is, every time Cashman seems to think he plugs a hole, another leak in the boat appears somewhere else. And at some point, at some point you've got to get a new boat. Because you can't, you can't always live off of, well, we're relevant every year, and we go to the playoffs every year, or we're in playoff contention every year. At some point, you have to... You have to compete for a championship. These are the New York Yankees with the first or second or third highest payroll in baseball, more resources than any franchise in the league. And at some point, the expectation has to be to compete for a world championship. Now, when was the last time the Yankees were legitimate championship contenders? 2019? Sure. They went to game six of the ALCS. 2017, of course, they went to game seven of the ALCS. Before that, the last time they were legitimate championship contenders was probably 2010. So that, to me, is the more concerning thing. Everybody points to one World Series appearance and one World Series championship since 2001. Okay? But more concerning to me is you go back. How far do we want to go back here? You go back basically to 2004, which was a line of demarcation for this Yankees franchise. And this is all relevant. I know that sometimes I probably go back in time more than some listeners like, but it's relevant here because Brian Cashman's been the general manager the entire time. Since 2004, how many years have the Yankees been legitimate World Series contenders? Obviously, 2009, they won it. The next year, they went back to the ALCS and lost to the Texas Rangers. And then after that, they fell off for nearly a decade until 2017. So 2017, 2019, and you want to get, I'll give you 2020, the COVID year where they lost in game five of the ALDS when Garrett Cole couldn't hold a one nothing lead against the Tampa Bay Rays. So that is five seasons in the last 17 years where you could consider the Yankees a legitimate championship contender. And that to me is the biggest problem. That to me is you're taking your eye off the ball. You're more concerned and focused on the fact that you are relevant every year. You make the playoffs every year. But where you should be focused on, if you're the Yankees and Hal Steinbrenner and everybody else who runs the organization, you should be focused on do we have a legitimate chance to win the championship? I mean, last year, you looked at the Yankees last year, and they flamed out in the one-game wild card at Fenway Park, even if they won that game. Did you think that the Yankees had a run in them last year? No, that team didn't have a run in it last year. And it's starting to look like even if this team does hold on and win the AL East, it's starting to look like they don't have a run in them this year. So at what point do you start prioritizing turning your team into a championship contender ahead of just making the playoffs every year. Making the playoffs every year is great for the Pittsburgh Pirates, the San Diego Padres, the Kansas City Royals. Those fan bases would sign up for that each and every year. Not to sound New York and elitist, but I don't know another way around this. These are the New York Yankees. The expectations for this franchise are higher than that. And those expectations for the better part of two decades, simply have not been met.
All right, the number is 1-800-919-3776. We'll get to your calls, Yankees, Mets calls, and plenty more on this Sunday morning on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. All right, Pat O'Keefe back with you, 98.7 ESPN New York on this Sunday morning of Labor Day weekend. Our final, final, final Sunday before the start of the NFL season, which will be one week from today. You know, the, the point from, from last segment about it's very, very hard to distinguish who deserves what credit for what championship. All, all I know is you cannot, you can't say, it's an easy thing to say that Brian Cashman doesn't deserve credit for the three championships the team won from 1998 through 2000, and I disagree with that. And I brought up the Jerry Reese scenario, the Giants general manager who took over at the 2007 season. So that was his draft, and he was already in the front office and working under Ernie Acorsi. Acorsi retires. Jerry Reese is promoted. Now, the most important piece to the Giants' championship puzzle was, of course, Eli Manning, and he was already in place, and that's you know that's the first line of Ernie Acorsi's resume, the trade that he made for Eli in the 2004 draft that ended up win- leading to two Giants' Super Bowls. But of course, he wasn't the general manager for either one of those. So does that mean he doesn't get credit for that? No, of course it doesn't. And on the flip side, of course, he had the roster in a place where it would be in position to contend. They went to the playoffs in 2006. They won the division in 2005, and then he steps down. So does Jerry Reese not deserve credit for 2007 because it was a Corsi's team? Well, you tell me. Here's Jerry Reese's first draft. I should have had this up last segment, but this is Jerry Reese's first draft. 2007 draft, first-year general manager. First-round pick, Aaron Ross, starting cornerback. Second-round pick, Steve Smith, third wide receiver. How big was he on the game-winning drive of Super Bowl 42? Third-round pick, Jay Alford, huge in the Super Bowl. Fourth-round pick, Zach Diossi. He just retired a couple years ago. Uh, as the team's longtime long snapper. Fifth round pick, Kevin Boss. Outside of David Tyree, Boss had maybe the biggest catch of that Super Bowl, the 45-yard catch and run at the beginning of the fourth quarter. And then I already mentioned earlier, the seventh round pick was Ahmad Bradshaw. That is an incredible draft. The Giants don't win the Super Bowl without that draft. So you can't say that Jerry Reese doesn't deserve credit for the 2007 Super Bowl, Super Bowl 42, because he just took over. Just like you can't take away all credit from Brian Cashman from 98. And you certainly can't take it away from 1999 and 2000. But it's difficult to decide where the credit should be assigned. I do know this regarding Cashman. It's been a long time. It's been a very, very long time. And he's taken a lot of swings at trying to get the Yankees back to the top of the sport. And it's been a long time since they've been there. All right, let's open up the phone lines again at 1-800-919-3776. Mitch in East Windsor has been waiting patiently. Mitch, how you doing? Hey, good. How you doing? Uh, happy uh, holiday weekend. Thank you, too. Um, I agree. It's come down to the Mets and the Dodgers. Uh, Mets have a good pitching staff because I mean, right now they're healthier than, the, than my Dodgers. Uh, Alonzo could be an MVP, but I think it's looking like Mookie Betts. You might take it from him. It's, it's going to go down to those two, I believe. And maybe you were still giving the say on board. I mean, sure, Max and DeGrom are great, but they've missed too many games, so can't discuss say ons with those two. I think Ewers will get that side. He had he was the only 20-game winner last year, I believe. Maybe they'll give it to him this year. 
Uh, well, the, it's going to be a great the, series. The wins, don't, the wins don't matter that much anymore for the Cy Young. Yeah, it will be, Mitch, and thanks for the call. I, I think the NL MVP right now is Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, his numbers are ridiculous. And the Cardinals, once again, I mean, you talk about a team that goes to the playoffs every year and doesn't have the resources or infrastructure of the Yankees, but the St. Louis Cardinals. And every year is supposed to be their year to kind of dip back to the middle of the pack, and they never seem to do that. But Paul Goldschmidt is a triple crown candidate in the National League. 332 average, 33 homers, 105 runs batted in. So his power numbers are basically what Alonzo's are in terms of home runs and RBIs, except Goldschmidt has a 332 average on top of that while Alonzo's hitting about 268. So that's my National League front runner right now. But that's, look, those are individual awards and they're important. They're obviously important for Yankee fans right now because I do think that Aaron Judge deserves it in the American League. But the most important thing for both of these New York teams this year is getting to and winning the World Series. Both of them. Uh, let's go to Neil in the Bronx. Neil, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I just got uh, two points to make on the Yankees. And um, uh, first on, on Garrett Cole, um, this, this, this turnaround in the postseason, if he doesn't um, put up and, and, and come up big for them this time around the postseason, he will have pulled off the biggest contract high since Jacoby Ellsbury. And and two, and um, at the beginning of the season, they were comparing these Yankees to the 98 Yankees. I thought I found that laughable. The bench, the 98 Yankees, the bench was better. The lineup was better. And the starting rotation was much, much better. I did too, Neil. I, I, I appreciate the call. I, I wouldn't say laughable because at the time that I was fielding those calls on this station, these Yankees, believe it or not, at the time, these Yankees were on pace to win more games than the 98 Yankees. So from that standpoint, from a strictly mathematical standpoint, the calls were legitimate, which just kind of blows your mind at how we got here with this team. That they're now barely, barely holding on to first place in the division. Three games in the loss column ahead of Tampa Bay. The Cole Ellsbury contract comparison is interesting. Top of my head, and I've been asked this a couple of times, what is the worst contract in Yankees history? I was asked this on Bobby Bonilla Day. So you could probably understand the context. I was playing golf with a couple of friends, Mets fans, um, talking about Bobby Benia Day and how the Mets are still paying him over a million dollars a year. That's got to go down as one of the all-time worst contracts. And they said, what is the worst contract in Yankees history? And, and my first instinct was Jacoby Ellsbury. And I think that holds up. Cole is different because Cole's been productive in the regular season. He's been an all-star a couple of times. He's had his moments. His numbers overall are good. You can't compare Cole and Ellsbury. Cole was signed and paid to carry this rotation. Ellsbury was signed and paid to be an important part of the lineup. The spot that the Yankees signed Cole to solidify is much more prominent than that of what they expected of Jacoby Ellsbury. And that's why the Cole contract, it's going to be hard to say it's the worst contract in franchise history because he is he, he takes the ball every five days and he produces in the regular season, but it just, this is year three now, and it hasn't approached what the Yankees expected of him. All right, we got the lineup out, guys. Is this what I'm seeing on my screen here? All right, well, 
Well, so much for uh, learning your lesson about not leading off Judge because he's in the leadoff spot again in center field. DJ LeMayhew batting second at first base. Oswald Cabrera is batting third <laughs> and in right field. You got a rookie who has been in the majors for three weeks and is batting 211. Your team is in dire straits and can't score any runs, and you're putting that guy in the number three hole in your lineup. Stanton is cleaning up at DH. Josh Donaldson at third base is batting fifth. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa at shortstop batting sixth. Aaron Hicks in left field batting seventh. Oswald Peraza, who made his first start last night, he's at second base today batting eighth. And behind the plate, Kyle Higashioka batting ninth. And catching for Frankie Montas, who to say has been disappointing would be a vast understatement. Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. ESPN New York is celebrating the return of football with the Back to Football viewing party with Peter Rosenberg on Thursday night, September 8th, as the new season kicks off. So come watch the season opener at the Ainsworth, located at 310 Sinatra Drive in Hoboken, New Jersey. Peter will be joined by the 98.7 promo team with Anita Marks as they give away Back to Football prize packs and tickets to select 2022 Jets games. ESPN New York's Back to Football night is brought to you by Modelo, Jack Daniels, FanDuel Sportsbook, and uh, LeafFly. All right, 1-800-919-3776. So we mentioned the Yankees lineup again. Go through a Judge, LeMayhew, and Cabrera batting third. Stanton, Donaldson, IKF batting sixth. Hicks, Peraza, and Higashioka. Uh, You know, (laughs) not exactly murderer's row. I think we can... All agree on that. Uh, Some pretty bleak, grim numbers for the Yankees offense uh, compiled by the guys producing the show. Tom Bauer put these together for me. Yankees uh, last night, their 13th game. This is according to Katie Sharp on Twitter. 13th time this season last night, the Yankees have three hits or fewer. The only team with more is the Detroit Tigers. Now, the Yankees 13 times this year with three or fewer hits. That is the third most times they have ever done that. They did it 16 times in 1913, which came in the middle of the dead ball era. The next year, 1914, they did it 15 times. The dead ball era was not yet over. 2022, that's where we are right now. They did it 13 times so far, and we still have 29 games to play. And they did it 12 times in 1915 and in 1990. And for Yankee fans old enough to remember 1990, I don't think there's any old enough to remember the 1913 through 1915 era. But I know there's a lot of you out there who remember 1990. uh, And those of us who were watching and following at the time know those 1990-91 years as the Dallas Green, Bucky Dent, Stump Merrill era. And that came right in the middle of that. Speaking of that era, the Yankees are 19-31 and 31 in their last 50 games. How bad is that? And again, this is Katie Sharp on Twitter. It is their worst 50-game stretch within a season since August and September of 1991. You know what happened after September of 1991 when the Yankees flamed out again and were the worst team in baseball? Do you know who came to New York as the manager in 1992? 
guy by the name of Buck Showalter and started to turn things around. And frankly, that was 30 years ago, and things have been good. Things have been good for the Yankees ever since. And that's the tricky part when you're trying to analyze Brian Cashman's job status. On the one hand, you look at a franchise that has been good for 30 years, starting with Buck as the manager and Gene Michael as the general manager, into the Joe Torre years with Bob Watson as the general manager, and then Brian Cashman. And then the Torre years led to the Joe Girardi years, and after a little dip, they got back on top in 2009 and won the World Series then. And they've been a factor every year since. So again, there are fan bases, there are owners in baseball, in professional sports, who would sign for that year after year after year. Above 500, make the playoffs every three or four years, make a run, maybe to the ALCS. But the Yankees don't fall into that category. The expectations are higher, and they should be, because the resources from which they have to operate are greater. And that's where you have to examine whether or not this is working. And I'm not willing to sit here and say right now on Labor Day weekend that it's not working because there are 29 games left in the season. The team is in first place and has a four-game lead, three in the loss column over Tampa Bay. It's a team that when it was whole, and you do have to factor that in, you think they're whole right now? You got Oswald Cabrera batting third. You got IKF batting sixth. And you got Aaron Hicks batting seventh. They're not whole. When they were a whole earlier this year, were they playing above their heads? Sure. I said it at the time, and it's even more clear now. But they were still the best team in baseball at the time. So you can't sit here right now and say it's not working. But you've got to start preparing yourself for, okay, what if this trend continues? What if the Yankees... Lose in the ALDS. Or what if the Yankees, worse than that, lose the division and then lose in the best two out of three wild card series? And once again, just like last year, you're out in the wild card round. Then where are you as a franchise? And that is starting to become a distinct possibility. And I think Yankee fans, but more importantly, I think the Yankees have to start preparing for that as a possibility.